Welcome here to another bonus podcast. My name is Crystal Taves. I'm the pastor of women here at Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Oh my. That is a very <laughs> official title. <laughs> I am joined by Thalia. Hello. That's funny, Crystal. I know. I had to be, like, because people might not know where Northview Church is when we That's say right. that all the time. That's so. true. So I'm the pastor of care. We have three of us, Vic, Paul, and myself. Yeah. Three pastors of Paul's care. Paul's a new addition to the team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Good to have... Uh, yeah, extra guy in there. Oh, yeah. Help you with all your pre-marriage stuff. I know. So many people getting married, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. I've already roped him into next year. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and we have Aaron with us, too. Hi there. Aaron and Kevin were helping us at pre-marriage this past year. Mm-hmm. Kevin is one of our elders, and he did this great job on the roles of men and women. So I'm going to rope him in. Just so you know, Aaron, oh, yeah. he's... Um, you did it like you gave back. It, like five minutes notice, didn't you? And, I know. Like, you yeah. said he was like completely eloquent and oh, like he was had so fun great. too. <laughs> yeah, like wow, that's awesome. Uh-huh. Um, we are going to ask a question this morning as we go through this podcast. Um, is it possible to fix other people? Hmm. No, no. Ah. <laughs> so why are we why are we asking this question? Well, why you are we hear this up? me talk about it all the time. How I meet with men, women, couples, and. They often are with me and they're so distressed and distraught because they want to fix somebody in their life. Yeah. So and they're often, not coming to visit you for their own issues. It's for no, somebody else. Often. Right. Yeah. And so I'll often joke with them and say, yeah, we can't sit somebody down in a chair and tie them up with duct tape and make them say and do what we want them to do. And I use that, <clears throat> excuse me, I use that image because I tried it once <laughs> when Ava, our oldest, was about seven or eight. She was in that stage where a lot of kids are at where they're up and down, up and down off their chair yeah. at dinner time. And it was driving me bonkers. She'd get up and down and she'd do cartwheels and spins around the kitchen. Then she'd come back and sit down and I couldn't hack it. So I got out the duct tape and I duct tape her to the chair while we were having dinner. <laughs> and okay. what was her response? So that worked here. for the dinner time. But a few days later, she was at our neighbors who also have a daughter the same age. And this daughter was doing the same thing. And so the mom joked and said, oh, maybe I should duct tape you to the chair. And Ava spoke up in her little voice, my mom did that to me. (laughs) (laughs) So the neighbor called me and just was killing herself laughing and got the story. And we know that it's just not a long-term solution. It worked for that dinner and that was kind of it. Yeah. So that's why generally speaking, we can't fix somebody else because they're their own person. I know. So sometimes we can kind of feel like we do, like when our kids are little and they come with their crying and we can kind of like cuddle them and make them feel better. Mm-hmm. So I think when they're younger, we can kind of feel like, oh, we've fixed or we've solved that problem. Yeah. Like one time I was at Walmart and they have that McDonald's there, you know, that one on Sumas. Yeah. Kids were small again, like, I don't know, two, three, something like that. And we had done the Walmart shopping and we were in McDonald's and... They lost it. They, I don't know. It, it was just terrible. And so I scooped one up under one arm, the other under the other arm, and then I used the other arms <laughs> to get the cart out. And we just left all our food there at the table, and we went out to the car. And I'm like, that's my way of fixing it, is we are just leaving. leaving. <laughs> we are out of here. But you can do that when they're two and three. You can actually scoop them up. Ava is six feet tall, though. <laughs> I can't scoop do her up under your arm. No, I can't scoop them up anymore. <laughs> so it works for a while. It doesn't work permanently. No. So what kind of solution or situations, what kind of people do we want to fix? What do you see in our church or with people or friends that you have? A lot of women come to meet with me because they want to fix their ex-husband. Mm. Or they want to fix their adult children, young adult children who are doing this, that, or the other thing. They want to fix their friends. They want to fix their neighbors or their mom-in-laws. Like they want to change how the person is operating. So what kind of behaviors are they wanting to change? Lots of things. So ex-husbands who have other girlfriends coming in and out of their life, and the wife wants to control who and when and why and how. 
especially because there's kids often still going back and forth to the homes, and we understand that. And we have people that want to fix their adult children because they are either in a relationship they don't like or they're living together with someone and they want them to get married or they have children and they want them to get married for that reason or they want them to actually find somebody and not be single anymore or they're doing drugs, um, alcohol, doing something unhealthy that they want to fix desperately. And parents are so broken up, of course, over their kids' lives. What else do we have? Lots of people who are, they're, spouse or somebody close to them, a sibling. Or your own parent, an adult. Is maybe struggling with a mental health issue, but not choosing to get help or not choosing to take their medication or Mm -hmm. not choosing to get help for their addiction. And so, of course, we understand that pain as well. And they desperately want the person in their life to go to the doctor, to take medicine, to get the help they need. But the person is not wanting to do that. Right. So Mm -hmm. why do we try so hard to fix? Oh. What's the what's that motivation? It's painful to live with people or to be in community with people where they're just destroying relationships left, right, and center, and um, you you have to bear that pain with them when they're making poor decisions and wrecking things. Yeah, and often we have a picture of how we wanted our kids to turn out, Mm -hmm. and if they are not doing that, we want to fix it. So if we wanted them to be married and they're not, we want to find them someone. And if they're living with someone we don't think is good, we want to fix that, find them someone different or get them married. Or we, we want to fix it so that sometimes it measures up to our image that we had when they were younger. Yeah. Or our ideal, like of a yeah. marriage, if we want our husband to be a certain way, to be like other husbands or to have a good yeah. image of, of a marriage. Well, and that's only natural. Yeah. You, you have expectations. You have a picture of how you thought life would yeah. be. And you want it to be like that. I know. And often we have a control streak in us and we want to Mm -hmm. control the others around. So we want, you know, our ex-spouse to live life in a certain way and not live life in another way. Or we want a coworker to do certain things or a neighbor to do certain things. And definitely parents or parents-in-law. Right. And there can be a protection side of it too. Mm -hmm. When you see people being harmed and you need that to stop. Yeah, because my so little talk people a little will bit, be hurt. Or, yeah, we're going to talk mm-hmm. a little bit later about some of the boundaries we need to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we wanted to talk about that. Yeah, the first kind of that motivation behind it. I think we're um, worried sometimes that their choices will reflect badly on us. Oh yeah. So sometimes it can be a real selfish, not well. I mean, a self-interested kind of reason why we want them to kind of shape up so that they well, do you don't look badly on us. When you think back, and I think of my kids being in uh, AIA basketball. We used to do Friday night basketball when my kids were small. And um, my kids aren't naturally good at that. So I would sit there. This is when they were little in kindergarten, grade one. And some kids were so good and they caught yeah. onto the game and they knew the rules and they could score and they could pass and they could do all these things. Well, not mine. Sorry, Avon Carter, but wasn't their gifting. And I'd sit there on the bench kind of feeling embarrassed, like I'm pointing to which direction to go and I'm kind of coaching them from the sidelines like, you know, don't be afraid to touch the ball and feeling embarrassed because some kids are so good at things and some kids are yeah. not. And that's a terrible feeling and it multiplied several times over as they get older and they make choices and we don't we feel embarrassed about how they're acting, what they're doing, right. who they're hanging out with. I think sometimes we just get tired of hearing about it too, right? Like we just like, come on, like just deal with this already. Like you get yeah. frustrated of okay. hearing somebody talk about their muck over and over yes. again or their situation. Mm-hmm. You're just like, come on, I see the solution. This is what you should do. Yes. Because <laughs> we just get annoyed. You've heard the expression, poop or get off the pot. You know, some of us are like that. It's like, come on already, deal with it. You have the best saying. (laughs) (laughs) I said, that's a clean version. That's good. (laughs) 
Yeah, and our own comfort. Like we don't want to get bogged down by yeah. their pain, right? Yeah. We it's it'd be way less painful for us if they're not in pain. We yes. wouldn't have to deal with their pain. So we, well, and we worry. Yeah. yeah. So we lay awake at night thinking about how that person is ruining their life or what the ramifications of that behavior is and how that might affect this and that. And we worry and we sit there and it's painful. Yeah. Because we want them to be happy. Totally. We want them to live fulfilled lives. Yeah. And it's even worse when I work with women who are Christians, who are women, who have some kind of care aid or nursing background, who are wives and moms. That's five things that make them more prone to have really big hearts for the people around them. And so they often, are, their hearts are so big and are so broken for the people around them that are hurting mm-hmm. that it cripples them. So I'll often say, okay, you've got like a, what's that? A quintuple whammy, whammy yeah. there. And we have to be Trying mindful. To be a savior. Oh, absolutely. Because we want to save people around us and let mm-hmm. them have great lives. Not lives that will hurt them. Not lives that have baggage and pain. And we, unfortunately, as kids get older, we know that the choices they make do bring bigger consequences. Yeah. Yeah. And it continues in 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s as people get older yet, and they continue to make those same mistakes. The consequences and the baggage just mounts up, and that is so painful to watch. Yeah. And flip that, if you have a parent or a an adult above you who's yeah. doing all sorts of oh. things, you've already lived under that for years. And then as you mature and you start realizing, well, hang on, <laughs> the people didn't have this story. Yeah. You start thinking, well, then you don't need to be doing that either. And you're trying to live under that umbrella of difficulty. And mm. you've never been able to change that person. Yeah. Because first you were a child and now you're an adult going, well, wait a minute, you could have changed this all that time ago. Why didn't you? Yeah. And then you still have decades of living under it, and it feels exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. There are people who come to meet with me whose parents are in uh, still an abusive, verbally Mm -hmm. or physically abusive relationship, still married. And these kids don't, adult kids my age, don't know what to do with this. They don't know how to interact with their parents. They don't understand why the mom or the dad is still living in this kind of a situation. They don't stand up for themselves. No. And then they see some of this behavior in their own adult children below them and it blows their circuits they don't know now what to do how to change the behavior of the people around them sometimes i think we want to fix others too because we do have that savior complex like it feels good to kind of come in and be able to solve someone's problem for them right we think we can but then i think i've come to a couple of places where i've realized okay that is not i can't do that they have to be willing to change themselves You've heard that expression. Uh, how many psychologists, <laughs> how many counselors or psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. <laughs> As, I know you guys are laughing at me, but it works. You know, yeah, it's a good that's one. True. Yeah? That's true. So, what happens when you try to fix somebody and it fails? Ooh, that's a tough one because we've all tried that. We've yeah. tried to fix other people around us. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Have you talked to this person? Have you checked out that? Well, you can wear yourself out. Oh, yeah. Because you're constantly thinking. Your brain is going over this again and again. What is the next solution? And if they go that way, then what can I, how can I deviate that? How can I convince them? Yeah. How can I protect those people that are around them? You're constantly bogged with it. Yeah. So your mind is tired. Oh, yeah. And then if they don't take your advice, you feel often, I often feel angry or resentful. And yeah. you often you want to give up on the person. Like you don't even want to be them around around oh, yeah. them anymore because they're not listening to you. Right. And they That's... get angry and mad because you're interfering in their life and they don't right. want you to. And yeah. so that relationship just gets more and more strained. 
Yeah. As you try and keep controlling and they keep pushing back or whatever. Right. And if they're prickly, then you just go, okay, well, enough. I'll just back off. And that might be the almost end of the relationship. Can be. I want to go back for a a minute Mm. to what you said about taking up the energy to think about solutions for everyone. I think that's a really important thing that you said there because it takes up a lot of our own mental energy to think of Mm -hmm. solutions for everyone around us. (laughs) So think of myself. I have kids, grade 11, and just graduated grade 12. So if I'm always thinking of how to solve their problems, like, oh, they should send this email, they should talk to their boss, they should, you know, uh, like my brain gets clogged. So often my, well, we'll get to solutions later, but one thing is often to say, okay, are they smart and capable enough to come up with Mm. their own solutions? Because that is a very tough place to come to. I would like to, as the mom, fix everything and give them all what I know to be the wisdom and advice for the solution. But can't do that. No. It's not in their best interest. It's not, and it exhausts us in Mm -hmm. the meantime. Well, or get resentful too. Like like you were saying, you get Mm -hmm. frustrated when people don't take advice. But if it's a family member and you're just seeing them still going that way, then you're like, yeah, because they spin and they spin and they spin and they spin, and we're like, why don't you get off? Yeah, and then we we try and it doesn't work. So yeah, yeah. So what happens when we try and fail? We talked about, but what's the danger of trying to fix it in terms of like, what if we always make things easy for people, Mm. or what if we always trying to kind of run behind them and clean up the mess for them when they're in the midst of situations? What's that danger of? of trying to fix, what does that look like? Well, I think we have to first talk about how a person is their own person and it's their their stuff to deal with yeah. ultimately. So in this kind of situation, recently I had a mom with a 19-year-old um, uh, young adult son who was doing all kinds of things that he shouldn't be doing. And she was, you know, like he would come in and um, – he would have been passed out from drinking too much or would have, you know, thrown up and things like that. So she would clean up all of the mess and put him in bed and, you know, change him into his bedtime clothes and, you know, make sure we wake him up so he'd go to work the next day. So all these kinds of things. And I think I understand the reason behind that, but it's not helping the child to feel, well, young in this case, young adult, to feel the consequences the of their own yeah. choices. Yeah, You know, it's brutal to let your child lie in their own vomit and to be passed out and to miss work and all. That's a brutal situation, absolutely. But it's not helping them if we come along behind them and fix everything. And in a, on a much more milder thing, when we have kids in elementary school and middle school, if we constantly remind them of all the deadlines and help them with all their essays and read over everything and make sure they have everything for every thing they need to go to, running along behind them, you know, bringing their lunch if they forget it, bringing all their paperwork if they forget it. It's not helping to teach them about deadlines and responsibilities and things like that. I understand the naturalness of wanting to do that, but it's not very helpful. Yeah. I think there, I, we had friends who had gone through the AA program a while ago and he kept saying when there, there are people going through difficult things, well, they have to hit rock bottom. They have to hit rock bottom. And I kind of thought, well, that's an interesting saying, but I know in my own life, you have to come to the point sometimes where your behavior is more painful um, to do than you want it to be. And then you that's when you're going to change, right? Mm-hmm. When all of a sudden you're seeing these consequences that are negative and you're saying, okay, now it's actually worth making the effort to change it. Yeah. And so sometimes you have to let people, as hard as it is to watch, you have to let them get to that spot where they come to that decision themselves that this is, is not worth it anymore. Yeah. I have to actually do something about it. So yeah. It doesn't help other people to learn. It kind of props them right. up yeah. when they shouldn't necessarily be propped up. They should have to deal with the natural consequences of their decisions. Yeah. Okay. And if we have a, a family where there's an ex-husband and there's 
yucky stuff at that home yeah. and the mom is not wanting that the children to go there that's yeah. why she's trying to fix it yes fix that ex-husband then what i mean that rock bottom might never come so she's going to watch her kids by law need to go to that home yeah what do we say to that like yeah and it depends what exactly is going on there is it um, life-threatening that's mm-hmm. something then she might need to find a way legally to not allow them to go there if it's something where she simply doesn't like the choice of her ex-husband, yeah. that's something different. That might be where you say, okay, I don't like the choices, but I have to live with them yeah. for the two days that you're there. But that's different than if it's a life-threatening right. or yeah, something like Illegal. that. Illegal. Illegal. Issue. Yeah. 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 And I would speak a little bit from some of that experience in my background too, that I try to, I tell some of my friends who have split families, like, you know what, your child will someday come to the conclusions themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like they may be exposed to some things and we don't want that obviously. And that's unfortunate, but at some point they're, they're seeing this is house A and this is house B and they yeah. both function very differently. And you see the deceit over here. You see the manipulation, you see the, whatever that addictive behavior results or yeah. the relationships that never last. And you start seeing the long-term consequences of both households, yeah. right? And and then as a young adult, they make their decision mm-hmm. of how they're going to run their own household based on what they saw. They had the advantage in an odd way of seeing what sort of stability and and godly behavior was in one home and all this other junk in the other place. Because in that situation, if a mom forbids her child to have a relationship with the dad, mm-hmm. The problem is then the child doesn't experience the the muck of what the dad is doing, so doesn't really understand it. So we'll hold it against the mom. Mm-hmm. Right. You yeah. did not let me go there. You did not let me have a relationship right. with dad. So now I'm cutting mom out and I'm going to go and live with dad. Right. Because they haven't seen the two contrasts. They haven't learned the mistakes of the dad and what the mom is trying to do to help them and protect them. Right. And, and hey, that could be or the other way versa. around. Or vice versa. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. A dad looking at his ex-wife's home. That yeah, is we have yucky. that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We certainly see that. Um, and if there's protection issues, obviously. Or abuse. To, they totally we've got to take care of that. But yeah. if it's just regular lifestyle kind of choices, lifestyle choice difference. And I would say if this is something that you're struggling with, come and talk to me because this mm-hmm. is something that we deal with a lot at Northview. Vic, Paul, and I all mm-hmm. deal yeah. with this. So we're kind of working into that solutions section now. So how do we cope if we're in these situations? If we if we don't want to f- go to that direction of fixing others, what are mm-hmm. w- ways that we can cope with that situation? What advice do you have for us? Well, partly it's accepting the reality of the situation. Yeah. Whatever, whether it's your adult child, your parent, your spouse, your neighbor, coworker, we have to accept the fact that this is the reality of what the situation was open our eyes and look at it don't just hide or deny it or minimize it like actually look at it and then with that comes the grief and the pain of that is realizing it is not how we want it to be is not how we want it for their life it is so painful right you might those expectations the pretty picture that you had of what life might be like it's probably not going to happen in the way you thought not now necessarily right there's always hope for the future. People are in process. Right. But right now, it but is that painful. grief needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And sort of put in its rightful spot. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be willing to share that grief with other people too. 
Like not just care. Mm -hmm. Sometimes because of embarrassment or whatever, we won't share with anybody what's going on. Yeah. But I think in order for us to be able to deal with it, we need to acknowledge it with other people that are, mm -hmm. we trust. And, and maybe I, question a little bit what the expectations were. Because if it mm -hmm. was that your adult child was going to live on the same street as you, that might have been an unrealistic expectation to begin with. Right. So you may need to go back and say, hey, what was that expectation? Right. And mm -hmm. was it even in its proper place? Yeah. Yeah. Taking care of ourselves, I think, in the midst of it is important. Well, yeah, because we can't change the other people. No. All we can do is take care of ourselves. So I often will say to people, okay, knowing that you have this muck, after they've described it to me in detail, we usually take about a half hour at least to look at the muck. After you've looked at the muck, it's like, well, that's the reality. So how will you cope, cope with this. yourself? Yep. How will you take care of yourself? How will you take care of your marriage so that you can continue to work with the muck that you currently have in your family life or your friendship life? And that's so many things that I'll often draw a circle and I'll divide it into four things. And in one corner, I'll do physical because we have a body. And the next one, I'll do mind because we have a mind and emotions. And then social, the bottom corner, and spiritual. We have to take care of ourselves always in these four areas. We are whole people. We have a body. We have a mind. We are social. We're created to be in community. And we're spiritual. So what are we doing to take care of ourselves? We talked about that before, sleeping mm -hmm. and eating and the body side, sleeping, eating, exercise, medications, things like that. On the mind side, it's important that we feed our mind with good things in the midst of muck. So are you listening to good podcasts, good articles, good blogs? Are you learning about the muck in some way? Maybe you're going to counseling or maybe talking with a good friend. Sometimes work is a really good distraction. Mm -hmm. uh, Get it can out be of really it for healthy. eight hours yeah, a day. Yeah. yeah, you're sort of distracted from the muck of your regular life if you're doing something healthy work-wise. So work is not necessarily a bad thing. On the social side, we want to make sure that we have good support around us. Do you have family, good family, good friends, a good small group, a community group, women's ministry, men's ministry? Are you serving somewhere? These kinds of things also get us out of our muck, help us to kind of look at others instead of ourselves, and they give us that support. And give us perspective sometimes because yeah. we see other people that have the same kind right. of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And then spiritual, of course, we are created to be spiritual. So it's really important that even though you're going through muck, Please be at church. That's where you get fed. Please be in your Bible or listening to your Bible if you don't like to read. Prayer, you know, podcasts, articles, conferences, like some things to help us spiritually. Right. These are like four wheels on a car. So the four areas, physical, um, the mind, social, and spiritual, like four wheels. And when those wheels are flat because they're not working well, then the car can't drive. So we want to or pump really up bumpy. those fires. Yeah, that's right. Because what happens is when there's tons of muck, people often withdraw socially and they don't hang out with family and friends. They don't sleep well, don't eat well. And you can just see that the wheels are deflating and they're not filling their mind with good things. They'd rather just binge watch on zone Netflix. Out. Zone out. Yeah, which is okay a little bit, but not okay long. And mm -hmm. so each tire is deflating. And then, of course, if there's muck, they don't feel like being at church, don't reading, feel like reading their Bible, don't feel like oh, praying. They be angry with God too. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we, we, it's good to acknowledge that. God, yeah. I'm angry. This is not how I wanted it to be. We should vent to him about this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we take care of ourselves in all these four areas on a regular basis, kind of a circle so that we go round and round and round and round all these different things all the time. Have those things in mind kind of as a little bit of a yeah. mental checklist as yeah. you go through your days and your weeks. Like, how are you yeah. doing in all those four things? Because the muck isn't going to necessarily disappear in one nope. day. So you know that this is the long term. For some people, this is could be years of dealing with the muck. Okay, but how am I going to cope in the meantime? Yeah. What are practical ways? How do, can we listen well to somebody going through tough things um, and zip our lips? 
Like, what are ways to do that or show empathy with people? Well, I often teach people that when someone is telling you their muck, sometimes it's helpful just to kind of think in your mind, okay, let's take 10 minutes. I'll listen to your muck and I'm just going to go like this. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, that's awful. Oh, that's so hard. I'm so sorry. Like, that's really tough. And just do that over and over again for like 10 minutes. I've done that when I pick up my kids from school. We do that for 10 minutes on the way home. After about 10 minutes, you go like, you can see them. They've unloaded. And then they start to come up with their own solutions. Now, it might be more than 10 minutes for somebody in your life, but you can just listen, show empathy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so hard. That's so tough. And zip your lips. You don't have to provide all that advice and wisdom and solution because it's not your life. It is their life. They actually do need to do something about it if they are at all possibly capable. I think it's good to sometimes ask somebody as you're listening. So do you, what do you want from me? How can I best support <laughs> yeah. you? Like, do you want me just to listen yeah. or do you want advice? Do you want to brainstorm this? Because sometimes people will tell you right out what they want. Yeah. I just need a listening ear right now. And then you're like, okay, then I'm off the hook. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes people do want you to brainstorm with them. Yeah. So even just asking that question outright can be helpful. Yeah. And you can ask things like if you go past the brain, uh, past the, um, letting them speak it out. You can ask things like, what have you tried before? Mm-hmm. What has been helpful to you before? Um, who's walking alongside you? What kind of support do you have? Because sometimes we think we're the only support for this right. person. When we find out that actually they have parents or friends or coworkers, it's like, oh, okay, I don't me. have to no. solve it myself. This person has other people I can then simply listen. And I can pray for them. And I can pray with them if they'll let me. And that's probably the most powerful thing we can do as Christians for other people. Okay, so what about the person who has uh, someone in their family who's prickly, mm-hmm. walking in some kind of a deviant path, and um, they don't want anyone to speak into their lifestyle choices, Yeah, um, and yet it's affecting all the people in that family. Oh, so, so hard. So that's not showing empathy. Mm-hmm, uh-huh, mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that's like, how do I... So we have to sometimes put some boundaries in place. So if somebody is, for example, if you have an addict in your life and you know that, let's say it's a parent who is an alcoholic or a drug addict, you can go and visit with them at a coffee shop or you can have them at your home for a couple hours or go to their home for a couple hours, but you don't have to stay there overnight. You don't have to live in their home. You don't have to have them take care of your children. Like you can put boundaries and still have a relationship with them. We don't want to cut people out. No matter how terrible people are living, how horrible they are, how prickly, we, no matter their choices, we need to keep some kind of relationship. We need to pray for them. We need to show them we care about them. Happy birthday. How's right. your day going? You know, some kinds of things like that. Right. I and think it, the most prickly person still deserves to have us say hi they? and be yeah. kind and polite and that kind of thing. But we do, we, it is okay to draw boundaries around sure. that. Yeah. yeah. So how do we come alongside someone without enabling them? Yeah, that is a very is different big question. Than solving it. How do we just, yeah, come alongside in a healthy way? Yeah. And that would be unique to each person's situation. So some of the things we've talked about already, we can pray for them. Even if they don't want us to pray with them, we can pray for them privately. We can pray with them if they'll allow us that. We can say, what would be helpful to you? Would it be helpful to you if you had some meals? Would it be helpful to you if I did some of the practical tasks around your house? How would it, how can I help you 
in practical ways, but not necessarily take over your life. Because I think if somebody is able to do mm-hmm. things, if they are able to make decisions and do some things, even our kids, for example, teenagers, they can talk to their bosses, they can talk to their teachers, they can email, they can do some of the hard tasks because it's their life. So as parents, I think we need to step out and get them to do the tough things. I think it's really great to also have a little community around yourself. This is part of taking yeah. care of yourself too, yeah. but it, if you have some trusted persons that know the situation and then you can go to them and say, okay, now this is the next level that we're at. This is what I think I'm going to do to help. Yeah. But tell me what you think. Yeah. Because it might be helpful or it might just be more enabling. Yeah. And it's good to maybe get a couple of people to. So for example, with some, uh, with the mom, with the 19 year old that was doing all kinds of things he shouldn't be doing. I actually said to the mom, I said, you know, you can draw up a list of things in your home that are acceptable to you. And if this 19 year old does not want to live by reasonable expectations for your home, then you might have to ask the 19 year old to move out, which is terrifying for parents because they don't want their child to be homeless or couch surfing from friend's house to friend's house. But I think we have the right to say, you know what, in our house, this is what we do. And if not, you're going to have to find somewhere else to live. And it's the same for marriages. Sometimes if a spouse is choosing to live an addicted lifestyle, it might possibly be in the best interest to separate for a while and to say, you know what, you want to continue in your addiction. I am going to live with a friend or whatever, and it will be important for you to get help. If you choose not to get help, that's a different story. But sometimes we don't have to necessarily live in the muck, depending on the situation. Yeah. I like, um, I think we have to to diagnose to whether somebody wants help or not by uh, just giving a little bit of help and seeing what they do with it. Yeah. Like I know you said that once and it really stuck in my mind. Throw somebody a life preserver if they're kind of seem like they're in deep water. Some people will grab that life preserver and they'll swim with it and other people will throw it off Mm -hmm. and keep flapping because they want the attention more. And I think it's diagnosing what kind of person is this? Is Mm -hmm. this a person that is just in really deep water right now and needs some help? Or is it a person who's just throwing off that life preserver because they just like getting the attention? That's how they know how to cope with life is just by continually flapping and flailing. And as people Mm -hmm. keep running to them, then they just get the attention they want. And that's how they... So we have that here. Life is normal for them. Yeah, we have that on a practical level. People come to meet with me or with Crystal. And they'll lay out their huge list Mm -hmm. of muck. And we'll say, okay, and here are some ways we could walk alongside you as a church. And we'll say, we could help to pay for counseling. Oh, no, 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 I've been to counselors, don't like them, don't trust them, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, what about women's ministry, community group? Oh, no, 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 Monday nights don't work, Thursday nights don't work, don't like large groups of women, don't like community groups, they serve food, they don't serve food. And they will throw off every Every life preserver. Yeah, that you give them. Yeah, and they just seem to want to live in their muck. Some people, that is their identity. And so if someone doesn't walk alongside the way they want them to, they'll go to the next person and just continually drain people. So you have to be careful of what kind of person are you dealing with, is yeah. what you said, yeah. Crystal. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I think at the end of it, we just have to let people be. And yeah. what does that look like? Like oh, to say, I don't so really hard. like what you're doing, but yeah. I'm not going to be nagging you every single time I see you. Um, like, how do we? how do we just let someone be? Part of it is understanding that they're their own person and that that they're on their own journey of like, even just as a spiritual being, their relationship with the Lord is their own journey. We cannot make them come to the Lord. We cannot make them change their behavior in submission to the Lord. Yeah. So it's, um, 
We have no right to reject them no. or treat them with disgust or in any way be impolite or disrespectful. But That's we right. can, I know, but we can simply say, be kind and polite, talk to them for a couple of minutes and then keep going our own way. You don't have to necessarily sit there and listen to them for the next hour as they pour out their muck or be trapped in a store or be trapped in the hallway at church listening to someone for half hour more. You don't have to. You can say, um, I'm so sorry. I've got to go now. Um, I, can yeah. I pray with you before I go? You can do things like that. Yeah. And I think it's having that heart of compassion for people in the sense of knowing that all of us have quirks. And we, I probably drive people crazy. <laughs> I probably drive my husband just as crazy as he drives me sometimes. And I say that to my kids. And yeah. like... We're all going to have those pieces that just drive people bonkers. Totally. And so realizing that that's just part of life and yeah. realizing that we probably have, you know, it to some degree, some yeah. of those things. That's going back to the accepting of the fact that we are all unique people and there are some things that bug us. And so sometimes you just let it go. It's like, okay, it's not well, whatever. It. Uh-uh. Yeah. And We're hey, not- there's one more thing too. We can pray for them. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that's so simple. Well, let's pray for them. But no, like really. Yeah. Because it's the heart change that's required, right? As you go through those passages that we've studied in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where God says, I'm going to take this law and write it on your hearts and and change who you are. And that's what we need from God. It's not all the list of rules and regulations. We need our hearts to be changed. And so, and he's the only one that can do that. And he's in control. Yeah. Like, we aren't. We aren't. If you only change the surface, that's like putting gold on garbage. You need mm-hmm. to actually, God needs to change the heart. So like, for example, if a couple's living mm-hmm. together and the parents are so upset that they're living together and not married, well, we want their heart to change where they love God and then they realize the design for marriage is for their best interest and for their marriage to come out of a heart change. Because who cares if they don't love God and they simply get married to please the parents, that hasn't changed the heart. Right. So that's made it look good, like gold on garbage, but it, it's not, it hasn't changed the heart. So we really want people's hearts to change more than their behavior to start with. The heart change will mm-hmm. result eventually in changed behavior, but it may take a while. One pastor I was talking to about this once, he said, don't pray on people, like P-R-E-Y, pray for people. I thought <laughs> oh, it was an interesting thing that stuck in my mind because we sometimes we pray on them. Yes. We want, we just trying to change everything, but he says, just pray for them instead. So yeah. there we go. And with that. Good. Okay. Good. Do you want to pray for us, Thalia? Sure. Leave? Yeah. Lord, we really have a heart for the people around us, for our families and for our friends, co-workers, neighbors. And Lord, you've given us that heart because you love people first. And so you've given us that heart. Lord, would you change the hearts and the minds of the people in our lives that we are thinking about, the people that are hurting themselves with the things that they are doing and hurting others around them? Without you, Lord, uh, lasting change isn't possible. Well, or, yeah. So, Lord, we just need you to change people's hearts, to change that heart of stone to a heart of flesh Mm -hmm. at your time, at your pace, not our time and pace. Please, Lord, would you work in the lives of the people that we are all thinking about now as we pray. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.